Welcome to the Viewless Wings Poetry Podcast, where we celebrate the craft of poetry. Each week, we feature interviews with incredible poets and artists, including Olivia Gatwood and A.E. Stallings, and original poetry read by the authors. I'm your host, James Moorhead, poet laureate of Dublin, California, and author of Canvas and Portraits of Red and Gray. Ryan McCree is a writer, dramaturg, and theater director based in San Jose and Los Angeles. He graduated from USC in 2017 with a double major in theater and narrative studies. And while his focus is primarily in drama, he continues to explore screenwriting and poetry writing. He works for the Critical Studies Department at the USC School of Dramatic Arts as a course assistant and prides himself as an educator as well as a working artist. Ryan has also been my poetry coach, teaching me how to recite my poems and workshopping my poetry. Ryan, welcome to the Viewless Wings Poetry Podcast. Thanks. Great to be here. In our first session several months ago, you noted that performance is intentionality. Break down what you mean by that. Um, well, I think that um, when one watches an actor, um, I think when the actor is doing their job, uh, it appears to be sort of thoughtless, right? It, it appears to be uh, natural and like things are just happening. And I think um, one of the um, uh, assumptions that's made by maybe the average, uh, say, theater goer when they watch a play who's never been in a rehearsal is that, um, you know, when like an actor crosses the stage, it's just something the actor decided to do rather than uh you know every movement being a meticulously designed discussed choice you know sometimes even something as subtle as like a scratching of the nose is something that a director and an actor may have had an argument about for three days so <laughs> you know it's um it's all about uh having a sort of series of well thought out choices and then being able to execute them enough uh smoothly enough to look sort of mindless and uh, i think that any sort of performance is uh is really the same way um and i this really became apparent to me when um one of my old professors at usc who was um both an acting teacher and an academic said that she actually would approach her conference papers the same way as an acting scene where she would assign you know each uh section of her her speech or her essay sort of uh, an intention and then play that so to speak to her audience um so she was even though she was giving like a conference presentation she was acting and performing in the same way that an actor would um, and i think that that's a useful way to approach any kind of public speaking, whether it be, you know, arts or academia or or business or tech related even. Perfect. Yeah. And you also, uh, you mentioned that, uh, and just to build on something you just said, that thinking of a transitive verb for a poem or a portion of a poem or even a line can be helpful. Do you break that down a little bit further? Yeah. So um, the study of drama is all about the study of actions um and that's how actors and directors um 
understand a play is is characters um having an objective and then performing a series of actions to obtain that objective um and that is uh, ideally you can understand everything that happens in a play through that lens so the practice of sort of assigning a transitive verb to your lines is a way of getting in touch with what your character is doing at any given moment and like what your character is pursuing uh so in the same way i think that um you know while poetry is not always characters interacting so to speak although sometimes it is um a poem is trying to accomplish something in the same way that uh, a piece of drama is it's trying to incite a mood of some sort um maybe the you know ob objective of the poem is a little bit more mysterious sometimes than maybe a play is but i think that that um comes i think the responsibility comes down to the person reciting the poem to know the poem well enough to uh sort of bring light to what that effect is um, and the way they can do that is by making their reading actionable by giving it that meaning you know and uh, one of the things we spoke about is you have experience both of theater and reciting poetry how are preparing to recite a poem and preparing to perform a script different how are they the same and i of course it, i'm sure it depends uh, on the poem mm -hmm. um i think in some ways they are um i mean they're definitely different because they're different mediums and with a, a poem you don't necessarily have to like flesh out a character um per se as like a full human being um but they're similar in that they both require like a very formal kind of study of um a, a piece of writing and that's how any actor starts um and, and later they might invite a lot more you know things like oh how do i connect this to myself or um you know other sort of exercises to bring more emotionality into it but i think any good actor starts with just a very analytical read of a text and i think that that is how a, uh, someone reciting poetry starts as well is just breaking down what's happening in every moment of this poem right um so in that way they're pretty similar um and then i also think they're pretty similar in that like once you have the general sense of the poem figured out and the movements and sort of the journey of the poem uh then it's all about just final tweaking that's very um not intellectual right it's it's like reading the poem and being like oh that word sounds dumb unless i you know <laughs> unless i emphasize this syllable in it or something like that or um oh i really need to slow down oh, although that that process can also be sort of intellectual because you might realize like oh if i add like a hard pause in the middle of this line it creates you know a a, a jolting effect that sort of emphasizes you know maybe this shocking revelation in the poem or or maybe it's the opposite where you, maybe you want to speed through it to actually undermine the the startling shift in the poem because maybe you just want to let the poem 
do its work for you. Um, so there's definitely that mix of kind of heady abstract uh, analysis and then just kind of a common sense of like what sounds good and what doesn't. <laughs> and it's, uh, you've shared some very practical tips for marking up a poem to prepare it for performance. Kind of walk through your approach to taking a, fi a finished poem and then marking it up to make it uh, easier to read effectively. Well, the biggest thing I do is add imaginary punctuation. Um, and some poems are punctuated already and some are not. Um, and even when they are punctuated, you might want to add more punctuation to your reading. Um, and that usually for me just consists of like, you know, ellipses, periods, or commas just to kind of denote how quickly of a pause I might want to take. Um, and even if a poem has punctuation, you might want to add a natural punctuation that the poem would never actually visually have. Like, for example, maybe you want to, um, you know, say three words kind of disjointedly. You might add two commas and make it like, um, you know, her favorite dog, right? So you might you might add commas there where that wouldn't make any sense actually visually in the poem. Um, and then for for non-punctuated poetry, I think it's uh, actually really, really important to punctuate it for reading because it's so easy to, in the middle of your read, kind of lose track of the of the rhythm of the poem, or maybe you spontaneously decide to make a different choice. And then you're, and then you realize halfway through it, like, oh, that didn't work at all. Like my rhythm is completely off now. Um, so I think, and, and while I am, I think if you know the poem very well, there's something to be said for spontaneity and, uh, you know, deciding to change your read on the fly can be great. Um, but it also can, uh, definitely mess you up if you're not super confident about what you're doing. So, um, I, I usually mark for rhythm, but certainly you can also mark for meaning, like doing some of those, uh, actionable, uh, intentional things as well. So how is uh, your interest in poetry influenced how you approach drama and screenwriting? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think that one of the biggest things I, I get from poetry is that the meaning of a poem does not need to be obvious, but it needs to be present enough that the reader walks away with something, right? Um, because you're, I mean, you're almost making a bargain with the reader. Like if you're not going to tell the reader exactly what your poem is about, you at least need to give them some kind of, uh, reaction to go home with, even if it's not, uh, you know, the exact, uh, you know, maybe uh, correct, whatever that means, reaction. Um, so I think that when I write plays and screenplays, um, poetry makes me think about sort of how to obscure, uh, how to obscure things in order to create suspense, right? So like, 
using mystery as a way of actually hooking people rather than alienating them. Um, and I definitely think there's a there's a balance to be struck because I think everyone gets frustrated when it feels like a writer is sort of uh, snobbishly withholding the meaning of their work just to be pretentious, right? So you don't want to do that, but you want to, I think, withhold enough information at the right times to just keep the the reading engaging. Um, and so that's something I, I think is very present in a great poem that uh, screenwriters and playwrights can really benefit from. You brought a poem to read. I'll hand the mic over to you and then we can discuss both the poem and how you approached reciting your work. Cool. All right. Uh, this poem is titled, The bird I am trying to catch in the net of this play was a seagull shot by Trigorin, and they wouldn't even let me play the part. Papa Tennessee wrote a man named Tom, pandering and meandering through life, himself and not himself, escaping, not enduring. What had he to escape there in the footlights of a prize-winning play while I wither, pitifully, in the light of day? The man falls to the stage floor, hurling misery at an empty house. I am not an interesting person, mother, he wails aloud. You must understand I am not. How self-indulgent this attempt to perform for nothing, for no one came. They were all attending the festival that rejected his entry. Too long for the circuit and too short for picture houses, so the story goes. Papa Tennessee, too, was far too interesting to his mother, but his bitching was tolerated. It's echo figurative. But the playhouses were full and the people kept coming and coming and there's a revival of cat downtown. Meanwhile, I'm the idiot in Macbeth, more Polonius than Claudius, Scapan in the handicap space unworthy to hold the property sword I left in the care of an armless stagehand. Albie had written me a play on a gin-stained napkin, the scrawl of his name, and underneath the words, keep your chin up. If Oedipus had no Thebes and realized his tragic error in a Glendale apartment, blind and alone, with not a friend to take his calls, would he have cared to know himself? Cool. I love it. I love it. I love the intersection of playwright and poet in this piece. Uh, what's the backstory to the idea and what revision and editing process did this poem go through? Yeah, so um, this is a fairly old poem, actually. I wrote this poem um, my last semester of college, um, and I was in a poetry writing class, actually. And um, I had written a few poems and not really felt super great about any of them um and i had a an office hours with my professor and he said um well you're a theater major right so write a poem about theater um so that was sort of the personal assignment that he gave me uh for for the following class um and it really unlocked a lot of things for me and i think actually it ended up being one of my most personal poems that i've ever written just not because it's just about theater, but because writing about, you know, such a big part of my life just, I think, made me vulnerable to just a very authentic expression of what I was feeling at the time. Um, and I think in a lot of ways, this poem is about me being at the end of college, sort of having anxiety about, uh, you know, the future as you know, an artist out on his own. And I think the poem is in a lot of ways sort of like 
my sort of nightmarish vision of like what the worst possible thing could be right like um and what's interesting now is because you know of covid shutting down all the theaters um revisiting this poem now is kind of interesting because um it has been a time of tremendous hardship for a lot of artists and i think there's been uh, a lot of sort of uh, soul searching and people trying to sort of reevaluate uh the direction they're going and i think that's really what this poem is about um just in a more sort of angsty angry way than maybe i'm feeling right now but <laughs> yeah so when when helping me learn how to recite my poem crush you reminded me that even though i know what happens in the poem the audience doesn't you also talked about performing the turn in a poem using your poem as an example how did you approach setting up key moments that you wanted to hit in the poem um i think that um uh, i think that one thing that's important is like giving nice pauses between stanzas especially ones that are important um so for me in that poem the last stanza is really um the kind of the big moment as is the case in a lot of poems um so i wanted to add um you know at least a nice little moment of rest after the last line of the second to last stanza just to sort of lead us into that last stanza um and uh i also think that you know th there were certain rhythms i really wanted to hit um in a specific way like uh there's the the line for the playhouses were full and the people kept coming and coming and there's a, rev a revival of cat downtown and i really wanted there to not be any pauses there because i think mm -hmm. that there's a uh if you get a sense of relentlessness out of that line it it illuminates the fact oh the people are coming and coming it kind of creates this image of like a tsunami kind of breaking through the doors of the theater right um so i think that that's a, a place where you really need to like blow through it um and uh another one was in in this particular poem i sort of this is a very punctuated poem in the sense that I think uh, all you have to do is read how it is already punctuated. Because, um, yeah, it's a very kind of literal, literally punctuated poem. Um, so there was a, a moment at the end of the first stanza that had a lot of broken up pauses. It was, while well, I wither, comma, pitifully, comma, in the light of day. And certainly you could blow through that and just say wither pitifully in the light of day. Um, and uh, I don't know, you know, exactly why I wanted it to be that way. That's an example of sometimes you just do something because it sounds cool. Um, yeah. But you know, that's a valid choice with poetry as well. <laughs> so there are a lot of uh, theater Easter eggs sprinkled throughout uh, this poem. How did you decide what to include and what to edit out? Um, 
be honest, I don't think I actually cut out any of the Easter eggs. Um, I think I think that all the ones that are in there are actually all of the references that I had in the first draft. Um, and I, I, I think I intentionally, as I was writing it, stuck with things that um, weren't super obscure in the sense that you don't, um, you know, I think that, that any student who has taken like introduction to, you know, theater history or whatever would probably recognize any of the references. Um, certainly I, I think I had an instinct that I didn't want to just pick like a random, you know, melodrama from the 18th century that I knew that no one else in the world <laughs> other than like academics would know. Um, so I think that, uh, in, you know, there are numerous Shakespeare references and then there's the Tennessee Williams references, which I think are fairly accessible for, um, most American audiences. And then there, there are a couple more obscure, like Scapan, uh, which is a Moliere character. And then, uh, uh, Edward Albee, which, um, is of course an, an ultra famous American playwright, but um, maybe not a lot of like non-theater goers will have heard of, but um, all very good people and plays and characters to know if anyone's ever looking for a, a reading list. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that that was a good balance of things that you, you kind of had the context and then maybe a couple where you want to go research them and because you're curious, but if everything, if every line is, triggering uh research then then you feel like it's a homework project so i thought that was a good that was a good balance um so your poem has visual elements at the beginning uh it looks like a script in part the play uh to an empty house how do you translate these visual elements into performance when unlike theater there are no props or sets and, and actually in a recent episode of this podcast talking to poet olivia gatwood uh, she talked about how they, they are they're related but separate uh, the, the, how the visual representation and the performance. Mm. Um, I think that, yeah, so that was a, a very, um, in a very kind of different choice I made with this poem. Um, and of course, uh, that sort of came out of my professor saying, you know, write a poem about theater and me being a playwright. I was like, well, what if I just throw a line of dialogue into the middle of this poem? Like, mm -hmm. cause I, I had never seen that in a poem before, um, at least not formatted that way. And I was like, that would be kind of interesting. Um, yeah. So it, it's something that, um, uh, I think that that's true that they're related, but separate, because I think the reality is that this is something you and I talked about a lot when we first started reading, I think that you want the visual design to uh, affect how you read the poem, but the reality of the situation is that it will be almost impossible to give the reader an exact image of what the poem looks like from your reading, because there are just so many different ways that it could. And I, I in fact, I think that was one thing that we did together was, um, I read you a poem without you being able to look at it. And then I asked you like, what do you think this poem looks like? And it was like a super, I think it was. I, I remember that. Yeah. Poem. yeah. And it was one of those poems 
that's like super broken up into like micro stanzas and just very oddly formatted. And it was like, there's no possible way that I as a reader could ever convey the way that poem looks. Right. Um, but I think there are ways that you can, uh, you can sort of hint at it. I mean, when I, when I read that part, um, with the dialogue, I omit the words, the poet, uh, because the, that's, um, that would be the character's name in a script, right? And you don't say the character's name. You don't say like, Henry, open the door, you know? Right, <laughs> right. Henry does open the door. So I, I actually, even though it says the poet in the poem, uh, I don't read that when I read it aloud because I read it like a line of dialogue. Um, but I do read the, the stage directions and I kind of try to read those as like an aside almost to make it sound a little bit less emphasized than the person speak just to make those sound a little bit different. Um, I think that that probably is the, the hardest part of the poem to read. And if I really wanted to go for a super out there kind of energetic, aggressive reading, I probably could, you know, really go for that and like act that line. Um, but, uh, yeah, I just, decided not to do that for various reasons. Yeah. <laughs> well, finally, uh, which poet or poets do you admire for their ability to perform their poetry and why? Oh, um, uh, well, I love Billy Collins, who's a contemporary poet and, um, was the U S poet laureate for a number of reasons. And I think it's because, uh, he just has a very simple, approach to his own poetry. He, he speaks very much with, uh, his tone is very conversational when he reads his poems. And I think that he does a really good job of like letting the poem do the work for him. Mm -hmm. Um, now on the opposite side of the spectrum, um, I really love, uh, Allen Ginsberg also, um, for different reasons. He, he very much like performs his poetry um but it's uh it's like a loose performance it's kind of funny it's it's almost like you can sort of see the beginnings of like slam poetry in the way that uh, ginsburg would read his poetry because um like if you listen to for example him uh getting up and reading like america um, in front of a live audience it sounds like more more like a stand-up set than like reading a, a poem um and that's very cool because he just plays very fast and loose with the words in a very kind of playful way which i think is cool so those are two very different but very fun to watch kind of ways of approaching it cool well thank you for sharing your insights today ryan on the viewless wings poetry podcast it was a thrill talking to you Awesome. Thank you. Great to be here. The Viewless Wings Poetry Podcast is written and produced by James Moorhead. You can follow me on Twitter at Dublin Ranch, subscribe to the Viewless Wings Poetry Podcast, and follow us on viewlesswings.com or on Instagram at viewlesswings.